Hey y'all and welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren. I can hardly believe that we are nearing the end of our stories from the Wilderness Bible Study. But before we get to that, the season of Advent is almost here. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. It's a time where we look back at Jesus's coming at Christmas, but we also look forward to his coming again. It's a time to slow down, to be intentional, and to take in the wonder of what his coming meant. And one of my favorite places in scripture to see this is in the book of Hebrews. I want to enjoy, invite you to join me this Advent season on a journey through this powerful book. Jesus came to make a way. Yes, a way to forgiveness. Yes, a way to hope. Yes, a way to joy. But it's more than him making a way through our problems and challenges and difficult circumstances. Jesus wasn't coming for him to part the Red Sea before us, but rather to part, to part the divide between us and God, between us and heaven. Jesus is our way maker. You can find out more information about this Advent study at feastingontruth.com waymaker. This week, we turn the page both literally and figuratively to a new section of scripture and a new section of the story of the Israelites. They are days away from crossing the River Jordan. They are about to take possession and step foot into the land which God had promised their forefathers. And he gives, God gives a familiar charge to Joshua. Similar to what we heard last week, remember my word, obey it, follow me. And then this week we got to see a practical example of what this type of active faith looks like through the story of Rahab. Here is week nine of Stories from the Wilderness. Hey y'all, welcome to week nine of our stories from the wilderness. We are following the Israelites journey from Egypt to the promised land. And here we are camped out on the edge of the wilderness, um, headed into the promised land. I can hardly believe that our time together is almost over. Um, before I dive into our passage for tonight and teaching, I want to open up in prayer. God, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the lessons um, that we can um, learn through the stories that you give us. Lord, I um, thank you that you show us who you are. Lord, I thank you that you show us the importance of um, your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be um, receptive, open, Lord, to what it is you have to teach us. God, um, my mouth is yours. Please use it to glorify you. Please use it to show truth. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and our redeemer. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We are um, turning the page into a new book this week. Um, we closed out the Pentateuch last week with um, our the study of the last few chapters of Deuteronomy. If you'll remember, Deuteronomy 
is three to four speeches that Moses gives to the Israelites as they are getting ready to enter into the promised land. So we have uh, moved all the way forward to the end of 40 years of wandering. We have a whole new generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. Um, the people who had all left Egypt have passed away and um, Moses is now passed away as well. He went up the mountain with God one final time. Um, he laid eyes on what God was giving the people, and then he died there and was buried by God himself. And so we turn the page from Deuteronomy into Joshua, and um, Joshua is actually turning the page into a new section in a new genre of scripture as well. So we did some context work in the early, um, in the first week to kind of help set the lens. And so because we're moving into a new genre um, in your work, um, homework this week, you in study, you did some context work to just kind of reset that lens because we have a new author. We um, have a very similar audience, um, but it is the new generation of Israelites and a new intent and purpose. Um, so uh, Moses um, has died and that is what we open this book with. And so God comes to Joshua, who is the author of this book. Joshua is the first book in um, the books of history, or some will call it the narrative literature of the Old Testament. Um, it was written, like I said, by Joshua, and most likely most um, scholars will put the story of the Exodus and the years of wandering at the end of the Bronze Age, and so this Joshua is probably written in the late Bronze Age around 1385 BC. Um, it was written to the Israelites, and some of the themes we see and events we see in this book, we see God's faithfulness as he brings his people into the promised land, fulfilling a 600 plus year promise to Abraham. Um, we see his continued provision and protection over his chosen people, over the Israelites. And we see the strong theme of the importance of obedience, that obedience is um, a a reaction of our faith, that our faith um, in him is then worked out in action and in obedience. Um, so let's dive into Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse, sorry, Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And so we see God comes to Joshua and says, Moses has passed and now you are in charge and you are going to lead these people into the promised land. And again, we see God's faithfulness that he is um, who he says he is, that he will do what he says we, he will do. And we see his sovereignty over this, that no matter where their footsteps from here forward, where they step will be the land that God is giving them. Um, I love that phrase that every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. And so it is go time. Um, and I'm actually going to spend a bulk of tonight's teaching in verses five through nine, um, because we actually see a pattern here. Um, you'll see that God starts in verse five saying, I will be with you. And then he says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all the law. Don't turn from it and you'll have success. Don't depart from the law. Meditate on it day and night. Do what it says. Then your way will be prosperous. So see how he's kind of building. He built into this and then he builds back out. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you. And so he starts and ends with his presence. And I think that's really important for us to note because like our theme verse has um has been kind of overarching over this whole study. It's that the Lord, your God has been with you these 40 years in this great wilderness, you lacked nothing. So we lack nothing when God is with us. And so all of the things that are about to happen, all the things that we are ever asked to do are only possible because God is with us. And because he is with us, we lack nothing. And so he doesn't say be strong and courageous, do everything that I say that, you know, is written in my law. Don't let it depart from your lips. Like he doesn't say just that. He says, I'll be with you. And it's because of his presence with us that we are able to do all of this. Um, and it really drills down as we see it kind of build in and then build back out to this one idea that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Um, and so I want to kind of go back through and really kind of break down some of the key phrases. Um, we see here God saying, be strong and courageous. We see it again. We saw it last week and we see it again this week, three times. Um, and so I want to go back and remember what it means, because I think so often we have come to this verse and we are like, go be strong, go have courage in the face of the things that are out there. And we kind of have this like, like pull up your own bootstraps kind of idea around what it means to be strong and courageous. But I love coming to the Hebrew words. And this to me, y'all, has been the thing that has been continually in my mind as I have meditated on these passages and what it means to be strong and courageous is that the word strong means to grow firm or to harden. And you think about your muscles as you, um, like my lunch lady arms, um, 
that, that jiggle. But as I work those muscles, as I strengthen those muscles, they become harder. My, um, so that I'm not all jiggly. <laughs> and so the same goes for our faith in God, that as we continue to work these spiritual muscles, that we are allowing ourselves to become hardened toward the things of God. Um, it's the same word that is used when it talks about Pharaoh's hardened heart. Hardening is not always a bad thing. We can become hardened against the things of God, um, because of the circumstances, but we can also be hardened in the things of God despite the circumstances. And that is what he is saying. He is saying, be firm, don't move. Um, the word courageous means um, to be steadfastly minded. It is to be focused on him. We have talked throughout this whole study about where we look matters, that we need to keep our eyes on God and to remember his truth. Um, so we are resolute and we are firm and we are unmovable when it comes to the things of God, no matter what comes up against this. And then he says in verse seven, he even adds on to it. He says only or above all, be strong and very courageous, abundantly courageous. We should be abundantly steadfast in our pursuit of God. No matter what happens, no matter what wilderness, y'all, they are getting ready to walk into battles. And while some of them are a little easier than others, they are not walking into easy circumstances. They are not waltzing in and just, you know, like saying, we're here and all the other guys go, great. Okay, here's your land. We'll see you later. Like they're going to battle. They are going to have instructions that they need to follow. This is not going to be an easy pursuit, but the Lord, their God is with them and he is faithful to do all that he said. And because of that, they can be resolute in following him. And then he says, being careful to do. Um, and so there is this attention to the detail of his word that we need to be mindful of that we need to do everything that he says. Um, and that word careful, the root word is related to keeping watch. It's like a watchman. It carries this intonation of protection. His word is meant to protect us because he knows, remember that idea of jealousy, his but our very best lies within full surrender to him. And so he's saying, be careful keep watch over what you were doing um, and, and do according to the word. Um, our, our obedience matters. And then he has this phrase, do not turn to the right or to the left. Now this to me is a, um, a phrase in scripture that grabs my attention. And I've done some study over the last couple years um, about this concept because we see it throughout scripture where he says, do not turn to the right or to the left. And so we have this idea that God has, has paved this way for us and this path, and, and we should not deviate from that. That is, that is what he is saying. Um, and while this concept to us is something that we may not quite understand, um, it should have been familiar to them because four times in the book of Deuteronomy, in those speeches that Moses just gave to them, he calls them not to go to the right or the left. Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience that 
to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Do you hear the similar language that Moses gave them that then Joshua or that God is now giving Joshua? He's saying, tell them, don't go to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience of what I have called you to. Not because I think it's a good idea, not because I'm selfish and I think that this is a good way or a, a you know one good option because he knows that our very best lies within walking in obedience to what he has set before us. Um, he says it again twice in Deuteronomy 17, once to the priest and once in context of kings, knowing that in the future kings are going to be coming, that's God's omniscience. Um, 17.11, act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you, do not turn aside from what they tell you to the right or to the left. Um, when he is talking about the kings, it's 17, 19, and 20. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life. He's talking about the word, the law, um, so that he may learn to revere the Lord, his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. That's very similar to what we heard last week, remembering that um, we need to keep it with us all the days of our life that it is to be with us always, that we should always be meditating on it because it is through his word that we learn to revere the Lord our God because God reveals himself to us in his word. This is why I love God-centered Bible study because it, it helps us better understand who our God is. Um, these are not merely just stories that we learn from in the ways that we should act, um, but they are stories that reveal the character of our God, our creator, um, our Lord, our master. So he's saying, um, do not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he is, and his descendants will reign for a long time over the kingdom in Israel. And then again, in Deuteronomy 28, as Moses, he gives these blessings for obedience and these curses for disobedience. And as he's wrapping up the blessings for obedience in 28, 14, he says, do not turn aside from any of the commands that I give you today to the right or to the left following other gods and serving them. So this concept would be very familiar to him. Um, and just to kind of give it a little bit more clarity around what this would have meant in, uh, to them, um, in the Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary, it says this, when left is used together with right, it can figuratively refer to, the obe to obediently following God. So when left is used together with right, it can figuratively refer to obediently following God. The Israelites are commanded to follow his commands, not turn to the right or turn to the left. But on top of that, in other places, this expression means straight ahead without distractions. Such language provides us with determined sense of focus. Runners who have their eyes fixed on the finish line never stop to take in the sights along the way. And so it's not just about the decisions that take us to the right or to the left where we follow our way versus God's way, but also being distracted by the things of this world as we are running. Again, we see that idea of being fixed on God, fixed on Jesus. Where we look matters. And then we get to that core message. Don't let this depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And that Hebrew word for meditate literally means to recite it. 
Um, this should be part of our day. It should be part of our thoughts. It should be part of our language. Um, if you've ever, um, sometimes if you talk to somebody who has spent years and years and years and years in um, studying scripture, that almost scripture is their language where they almost speak in scripture, that it just kind of flows out of their mouth. And it's not like they go, well, Psalm 139 says, you know, blah, 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 blah. It just literally as they were, you're like, wait, that's familiar. I've heard that before. Like that's what um, should be the language of our heart, that, that God's word should be in us so much that it just flows out of our mouth. It flows through our thoughts. Um, it made me think of Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. It is this idea of a constant flow of his living water, his nourishment, his word that is constantly reviving our soul, that we are constantly thinking on it and meditating on it. Um, and it's like we're like a, a tree that is planted by streams of water. It's not something that we take a watering can to, you know, in the morning or once or twice a week and, and just kind of like give it enough water to last it for a while. It's something that is constantly part of us. I think um, I talk about this a lot that um, you know, we, um, we tend to have put like this idea of what spending time in God's word looks like into this box. And I say this carefully because we do need to come to God's word. And we are privileged to live on this side of the Gutenberg press and this side of literacy where we have the option. We literally have more access to the Bible now than we have ever had in the history of the world. And um, sometimes I think though that we take that and we think, okay, then I need to spend hours reading my Bible every day. And you may be in a season where you can do that. But for them, they were listening to the word and, and having to memorize it because that was the only way God's word got in their heart because they couldn't read. They didn't have copies of God's word in every single house and on their phone and, and in that. And sometimes I think we lose the, um, the memorization of God's word because we have it with us at all times. And one of the things that I love about this format of Bible study, where we kind of move through scripture more slowly, where we kind of revisit passages over and over throughout a week, that we are um, allowing his word to really soak into us so that we are carrying his word with us wherever we go. So that while we are cooking, I found myself the other night making tortillas, um, which is like one of my favorite kind of relaxing things to do. I know some people are like, that sounds stressful. But for me, there's just something about the using of my hands and the rolling and the flour that to me is just grounding. And so as I was doing that, I found myself just naturally like talking to God. He brought someone to mind and I was praying for them. And as I was rolling out these tortillas, like that's what it looks like to be planted by a stream of living water, that, that, that his word is constantly with us and in the forefront of our mind. And we are constantly allowing him to refresh us. Um, and it makes us stand up like a well-watered plant. Um, I had a season 
during the pandemic. I started it before the world shut down, but it was really easy to be a fake farmer during the pandemic because I was home all the time and I just, it was something I could do. And honestly, it gave me a chance to get outside um, and away from the, the fighting of all my children over what show they were gonna watch or whatever. And so it was just this peaceful place where I could go. And so I, um, uh, we'd go out to my garden and like in the summer heat in Florida, like I would just watch these, these plants just, I mean, they were withered, but as soon as I gave them water, they would perk back up within hours. You would see these leaves that were drooping, just like pop back up. And that is what our soul does when we remain connected to God, when we remain connected to his word, when we meditate on it day and night, we do not allow it to depart from us. And the result of that, they, um, Josh, God uses these words here, success and prosper. Now, it's really important for us that we go back to the original language to really understand what these mean, because in English, we tend to interpret this as, okay, well, whatever I do, it's, I'm going to be successful, or I'm going to have money, or prosperity, or um, more ground, or more influence, or more followers, or more people. And so we tend to look at obedience as a means toward getting more, but that's not what it means. Um, some of you in, I know my Bible had this footnote um, on the word success. And if you went down, it said, may act wisely. The Hebrew word for success means to be prudent. Um, and I had to look that one up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Um, it says having or showing careful good judgment. So our success that we get when we allow God's word to be in us, to not depart from us, then we do not turn to the right or to the left, but we remain straight and following his way is that we will act wisely. Our success is going to be that we will have good judgment. It's about understanding um, his word and knowing what to do in light of that. That is what success means. And in verse eight, the word prosperous, I love this. It literally means to rush, to break out, to push forward. It carries this idea of advancement. So think about the, the plant, the tree. It continues to grow because it is receiving the nourishment that it needs. It continues to yield fruit, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of a life that is lived following God, not um, the, the fruit of prosperity, but this well-nourished plant that is growing and advancing. When we do this, um, when we let his word get in us, when we do not let it depart from us, when we meditate on it day and night, when we do not turn to the right or to the left, but when we keep careful watch over our actions and we do all that it says, when we are hardened toward the things of God saying, nothing in this world is going to sway me. I am going to be steadfastly minded, focused on him and immovable in the ways of God. We will be growing toward God. And that's our goal. It's this process of sanctification, which is the big churchy word that means I stopped doing the things of my old self and I move toward doing the things of God. I become more like him and not in a, I become a God, but that I start to reflect him as his image to 
the world more closely. I take the sin and the things that I do not want to be part of me anymore because I know that my very best lies in full surrender to him. And it's a lot. Y'all, that's a lot of things that he says to do. But don't forget the source. We remain connected to the source and it is his presence with us. I am with you. You lack nothing. We can only do this because he is with us. And so we see Joshua take command and he tells the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days, you are going to pass over this Jordan um, to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And so he says, it's go time, y'all. Like, get ready, because in three days, we're moving. We're going to cross this Jordan. We are going into the promised land. And um, he gives some instructions in the next few verses to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. So if you have maps in your Bible, there's most likely a map that will show um, the plots of land that the Israelites, um, where each tribe settled in the promised land. And you'll notice that Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh's tribes settled on the east side and so of the Jordan River. And so they are literally standing where they're going to cross through, where they are ultimately going to settle um, in the land that God is going to give them. But he's saying, listen, come, you are to come with us. We are going to take the whole land and then you can go back and settle where God has led you. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go just as we obeyed Moses in all things. So we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so we see again this phrase. Let's be steadfastly minded and hardened after the things of God. We are going to obey. They renew their covenant and they say, here we go. We are going to do this. And so we saw last week, Moses talking about the importance of obedience to his word. And we see again this week, God telling Joshua, do what I say. It's of the utmost importance that this happens. And then they give us, God gives us this very practical um, example of how this is lived out through the life of a woman named Rahab. So I am going to read chapter two and then come back and pull out a few points. And this is um, one of those passages that we have probably heard preached a million different ways, but I want to think about it in light of what we have read about obedience to the word, about a faith that then is moved to action because that is our call. And that is what we see through the story of Rahab. Verse one of chapter two, and Joshua, the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. First of all, I love here. I really don't know if there is meaning behind this, but previously there were 12 spies, one of whom was Joshua and Caleb. And um, he and Caleb were the only ones who came back, only two with a good report. And so um, this time he's like, I'm only sending two. Um, I don't really know if that's what happened, but it did, it did make me chuckle. Um, 
And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went, but pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and, and the, that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and to all, to all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers had returned and the pursuers searched all along the way, but found nothing. Then the two men returned and they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told them all that had happened there. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melted away because of us. So we see this obedience, but first, before we see Rahab's obedience, 
we see this testimony. We see the far-reaching effects of the works of God. Y'all, the Red Sea was 40 years earlier. And Rahab knew about it. The people of Jericho knew what God had done 40 years ago. And they had heard of the victory over the kings that were on the east side of the Jordan River and the total destruction. And we saw this word over and over. Their hearts melted. Their hearts melted. They melted away. Their hope had dissolved. They were, um, they had nothing left to hope for. Their destruction was coming and they knew it. But Rahab, she had heard the testimony and her heart was not melted. She did not have her hope dissolved. Instead, she chose faith. We see that in verse 11, she says, the Lord, your God, he is the God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. But she didn't just confess her faith to them. She didn't just say, I believe in this God. She was moved toward obedience, even in the face of the king. She knew the king's fate. She knew what was coming. And she was not scared of what the king would do to her. She was scared of what the king would do to her but the king of heaven and earth. And in humility at the, at the understanding of who God is, she was moved to deal kindly with these two spies, to hide them, to provide a way out for them. And she asked that because of that faith, that, that she would, um, her family would be saved. And so um, they tell her to, Keep everyone inside her house when the time comes and to hang the scarlet cord over and do not say anything to the king. And literally everything they say to do, she did it. And she did it immediately. Notice how she said, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She's like, I'm ready. Let's do this. She followed in obedience. She had seen his works and believed and her faith led to action. And her obedience is noted several times in scripture. Y'all, we saw in our study this week, she's in the lineage of Jesus. She's the father or the mother of Boaz, that um, God redeems the story. And I think it's such a beautiful picture for us to see how God grafts in Gentiles into the lineage of Jesus, that he takes people who were on the outside and pulls us in because that's what he does for us. That's what he did for us. And it was because of the testimony of the people and the works of the Lord that she believed. And we saw um, in our study this week, if you fast forward to Joshua 6, that when the time came, they were faithful to save her family. And y'all, like her, if you know the story of Jericho, the walls came crumbling down. Where is her house? Can you imagine the, the faith that it took? to sit in that house, watching those men walk around the city with the trumpets, and then to feel the rumble of the walls crumbling and to stay there and trust. That is the faith they had, the, the solid faith. And her faith is noted. If you, one of, um, 
one of my little study tricks that I, I use a lot is in a digital Bible in the search field, you can type in someone's name. Now you do have to be careful with names like John, because there's a lot of Johns in scripture, but um, you can go find um, where those people are named in, in el where else in scripture. And she not only is in the lineage of Jesus, she is in what we always call the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11, 31, her faith is called out that Rahab, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We hear his word, we believe, and we have faith, but then we must be moved toward obedience. And I really feel like this right here, this idea is what is at the core of James 2. It's this controversial passage where we all go, wait a second, he's saying that works save you? Faith, um, faith is what saves us. But the evidence of our faith is our obedience. It is our movement. It's that, pros that prosperity, that prosperous, that we are advancing forward, that we are growing in intimacy with our relationship with God, that we are becoming more like him, that we are separating the things, um, throwing off the sin, um, the things that hinder us, and we are chasing Jesus, and we are keeping our eyes focused on him. This is what it says, James 2, 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, I will show you my faith by what I do. My What I do is evidence of the faith that is in my heart. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Belief is not enough. We must be moved toward action, toward obedience. Um, and then he says in verse 25, he talks about Abraham and that he was um, justified by the works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, that that offering, that act of obedience was a, was a proof of the faith that was in his heart. And then he says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Our faith apart from our obedience in following God in his way and what he has said is dead. There, there is no faith without the obedience um, it is the overflow of, of recognizing who God is. It's the overflow of seeing his love for us, his steadfast love for us, his long suffering for us, um, the humility of recognizing that I cannot do this on my own. And the, the natural overflow of that is obedience and walking in what he has called us to do. And I know we talk about this a lot, and this is a message that we preach often Yes, we do what God says, but if we preach it apart from the gospel, then we are preaching a false gospel because there is nothing in me that is capable of obedience aside from the presence of God in my life. And he has given us this gift. He has given us a teacher so that we can listen to his voice and know how to walk in his ways. Um, a few years ago, my word for the year was his way. And so I spent a whole year really contemplating what it meant to walk in his way. And, and what I really learned is that his way is not directional. His way is not about 
take this step, go here, move there, take this job, marry that person, have a baby now, no wait, hold on, don't do it yet. Like his will for us is about our sanctification. His will for us is about growing us in maturity and dependence on him. Remember the, the backwards maturity of a Christian faith is that we are, as we grow more mature, we recognize more that we need to be dependent, not independent, which is what um, maturity on earth is. I train my children to be independent. I want them to learn to make decisions on their own and to try, you know, to move forward, but um, to be able to get themselves dressed and to feed themselves food. All of that is about independent maturity, but in Christ, in our relationship with God, our maturity looks like more and more dependence. It's more and more recognizing that I can't do this on my own, that I need him. I need his presence. And so that year, my verse for the year was Isaiah 30, 20 through 22. And this is really where that right and left um, directional um, uh, thing was sparked in my mind. The, the, my interest in that phrase in scripture came from because it's in this passage. Um, verse 20, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right and when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and gold plated metal images and you will scatter them as unclean things and say, be gone. He's saying that you will go through hard times. You will have adversity. You will have affliction. And what we have seen in this study is that God has led them into the wilderness to prove them, to try to prove their faith, to grow their faith, to show them who he is. And so God sometimes takes us to the wilderness, takes us through adversity, takes us through affliction so that we are in a position where we can better understand who he is, that he will not hide himself. He takes us there to show us who he is. And you shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is what it looks like to follow me. No matter what you are going through, when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left and the result of recognizing what it looks like to walk in his way is that we will take the sin in our life and we will want to cast it as far as we do unclean things. Things that, that we know have no use in our life, that we will follow him. Um, in um, Pastor John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible, he likens in this verse, um, he likens us to sheep. They listen to their shepherd's voice. And as he sees them steering off course, straying from the flock, going to the right or to the left, he calls them back into line with where they are going. Y'all, this was like the most mind-blowing thing that I saw because we often talk about God going behind us um, and before us, that he hems us in, that's Psalm 139.5. Like, and it's so true. He does go all around us, with us, before us, behind us. He's omnipresent. We see that this in this passage this week. But there's also an element of his going behind us that is about um, like a shepherd going behind his sheep. So if you look at depictions of um, like sheep herding, even today, and while it is so different and not at all how they would herd sheep, they come from behind because from behind they can 
kind of steer them into a, a certain direction. And from behind, he can see the sheep going off and he pulls him back in with his voice. He calls to them. But he is also the shepherd who goes before us, who, who is leading us. And I think that is what is so incredible about our God is that he can do both at the same time. And we must learn to listen to the voice of our teacher. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In verses two through four, he says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We must learn to listen to the voice of our shepherd. And he has given us his voice inside of us through our teacher, the Holy Spirit. One of the pillars of feasting on truth is John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. I always like to say it this way. The Holy Spirit helps teach you all the things and remember all the things. Um, and he is in us. This is Jesus talking to his disciples as he is about to get arrested at the Lord, at the, the last supper, at his last time. And you can hear the immediate, the urgency in his voice as he's saying, I'm going away, but this is better because the teacher, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he is coming. And he comes back to it in, in chapter 16 in verse eight, he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We have the voice of the teacher inside of us, guiding us so that as we're going to the right or to the left, he can call us back in. And I can look back on my life and in certain seasons where I knew I was walking away from God's will. I knew I was not making choices that were the ones that were going to lead me toward godliness, but more toward worldliness. And as I strayed to the right and to the left, if I was really honest with you, I would tell you that I could hear the voice of my teacher. Every step I took, I knew that it wasn't what God wanted for me. I knew he wanted my best and my best was in full surrender to him. And, but I had become distracted. I had been looking to the right and to the left and getting distracted by the shininess of sometimes what the world has to offer. But my teacher never left me. He continued to walk before me and beside me and behind me saying, come on, girl, get back with the flock. Let's go. This isn't what I want for you. And his so long suffering patience eventually pulled me back because his voice inside me never left me. In um, John 16, 13 through 14, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is teaching us all the time, the things that Jesus has said. He is declaring to our hearts, the truth, and when the lies of the world start to come in, there is a source of truth inside of us. He is always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. 
we must learn to listen to his voice. And what makes it so beautiful, what makes it so possible is God's grace. His grace is not merely that we have forgiveness. His grace is that Jesus has become the way maker, that he has parted the divide between us and God. And it has allowed not us to get to God, yes, but more so allowed God to get to us because our sin put a dividing wall between a relationship with us and God. And in Jesus being our way maker, he opens that way so that God can come and have relationship with us. His presence can live on the inside of us and he can guide us and walk with us, never leave us, never forsake us. He is with us wherever we go. He is behind us, shepherding us so tenderly saying, come back to the way, come back to my way, come back to my way. And he is before us saying, come on, this is it. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. Let's be women who listen for the voice of our shepherd. And when we hear it, let's follow. After that Hebrews 11 passage, we turn the chapter to, Hebrew, to chapter 12. And we've quoted this verse several times throughout the study, but I want to come back to it again. In light of what we have seen in the um, obedience of Joshua, in light of what we have seen in the obedience of Rahab. Let us remember, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let's throw it off. Let's throw off those things that hold us back and the things that distract us and, they, and cling to us and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of his victory, because he was faithful and obedient to do all that God said, and, and he endured the cross on our behalf. We have an opportunity to listen to the voice of our teacher and respond in obedience. And we do it not because it's just a good idea, but we know that our very best lies in full surrender to him because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is faithful to do all that he says. He is sovereign. He is Adonai. He is master, guide, helper, refuge, teacher, before us, behind us, beside us, omnipresent, ever with us, full of grace and truth, our good shepherd. Let me pray. Lord, thank you um, for the way that you so tenderly walk with us and shepherd us. Lord, I know I would have given up on me a long time ago, and yet you still continue to walk with me. My unfaithfulness to follow your way does not negate your faithfulness. God, thank you that you continue to pursue us and guide us and shepherd our hearts as we move toward you. Lord, I pray that we would be women who follow, who hear, who believe, Lord, and are moved toward action, that we grow and we advance. Lord, that we become hardened in our resolute, that we would be immovable as we continue to walk in obedience, that no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what life comes, um, happens, 
no matter what comes our way, Lord, that we would pursue you, keep our eyes focused on you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The blood of Jesus and our testimony, that is what helps us defeat the enemy. And our love, our great love is for God. It's for pursuing God. It was the testimony of God's works that brought Rahab to belief. We saw God go before the Israelites this week when word spread 40 years earlier about this miraculous parting of a sea and the people who were led by God through it. He knew that one day a woman in Jericho would hear that story and her heart would not melt like those around her, but instead would grow firm in faith. He would lead two spies to this woman for their safety, and he would use her testimony of faith mightily to encourage believers for centuries to come. We have no idea how far God will carry the testimony of what he has done in our own lives. Our obedience has far-reaching effects, and I'm so thankful for a God who is patient with me as we walk through this wilderness together. Next week, we will wrap up this Bible study, and already I am getting the questions of what's next. So after Advent in the new year, we will get back to um, studying on uh, live on Tuesday nights, but we will be going back and covering the tabernacle. This is such a powerful study about seeing who God is, a God who longs to dwell in our midst. And the story, the study of the tabernacle gives us the most incredible picture of our Savior Jesus. It will open your eyes to better understand what he did for us in his coming. And so if you want more information on that, make sure you're on the email list because um, there will be some information coming out about that in a couple months. Um, So you can do that at feastingontruth.com. And again, you can find more information about the Advent study um, at feastingontruth.com and you can click on Waymaker. I hope y'all have a great week and I will see you here next week for the conclusion of Stories from the Wilderness.